The topic for tonight is the Mizrich Magid. The Baal Shem Tev successor, Rabdei Ber of Mizrich, who was also the Rebbe of the Alter Rebbe. The reason we're talking about the Mizrich Magid because this year, Tov Shin Pei Gimel 2022, is the 250th yard site of the Holy Magid. It's exactly 250 years. This Tuesday will be exactly 250 years since the Holy Magid passed. And the Rebbe always made a very big deal out of a jubilee, out of a yoyu. So considering that on Shabbos we talked about all kinds of other things, I'm allowing myself to make this talk. The whole talk is going to be dedicated to the Mezitra Magid, who this coming Tuesday will have 250 yard sites. 250 years since the Histalkas of the Mezitra Magid. So a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be stories. And some of what I'm going to say is going to be chsidis. But a lot of, I'm just... I'm sharing with you a bit on the life and the leadership and the Rebbeship of the Mizisher Magid. The first story is as follows. The Mizisher Magid was a little boy. And in the Shtetele where they lived, there was a fire. And in the olden days in the Shtetele, when you had a fire, everything was made of wood. And after a while, the wood became literally tinder. It became mamish, combustible material. And the, every hundred years, the shtetlach burnt. I mean, that's the way it was. Every hundred years, the shtetl would burn and then rebuild. So when the shtetl, where the magnet grew up, I do not know what that shtetl was. There was such a fire. And his house burned to the ground. His house burned to the ground. After the fire, his mother was raking through the ash to see if anything was left. Something jewelry, maybe some silver. And she was crying. So the Hebrew Gemagid was a little boy, and he says to his mother, Mama Favos Veins, to mother, why are you crying? We all got out alive, nobody got hurt, we lost our possessions, but we all have our health, we all have our life, why are you crying? So she said, I'm not crying about our possessions. I'm crying because I had a Megillus Yuchsen. I had a genealogical chain. I had a, do a document which traces our family back till David HaMelech. And this document was destroyed in this fire, and it's impossible to replace. This is why I'm crying. She says, I had a document, a Shtar Yuchsin, which traces us all the way back to David HaMelech. I don't know how many generations this means precisely. This document was destroyed. It's impossible to replace. And this is why I'm crying. So the little boy says to his mother, Which means if that's the case, we'll have to start a new chain. With me, so he said. If that's the case, let's start a new chain with me. So the Mr. Jamaica said as a little boy. And of course, for those who are not aware, the Mr. Jamaica's children are all the Rujan and Rebis, all the Friedmans, all the Rujan and Rebis are the Enklach of the Helika Market. So it's true, he started a new chain. Now, as far as Hasidus goes and the Mr. Magid, the Mr. Magid was a Litvak, was a Litvak. Which meant he didn't live where the Balshemtev lived. The Balshemtev lived in I, I called Ukraine. He lived in Galicia. The Mizrachim Mavid was a Litvisher. He was a very, very big Talmud Chacham. He was a very, very big God. And he was a Talmud of Pnei Yeshua. The Talmud of Pnei Yeshua. Pnei Yeshua was one of the greatest Goyim of that generation. He wrote Svarim that all the Yeshiva Bachim learned. And um, they had had many conversations between them about the Balshemtev. 
Because the Bashemtiv was a very suspicious character. The Bashemtiv was very suspect because the Bashemtiv was surrounded by so many simple people. Bashemtiv also had a following of Gedele Yisrael, of Goinim and Tzadikim. But the Bashemtiv was famous for his reaching out to broken, simple people. And this led people to suspect that it wasn't kosher, that it wasn't holy, that it wasn't kosher. So the Gedele Yisrael who came out against the Bashemtiv. The Gedele Yisrael who went to check the Bashemtiv out, and the Gedele Yisrael whose attitude was You know, I'm not going to mess with the Bashemtiv, but I'm staying away from him. And this is sort of the attitude that the Yeshua had. Now the Bezitcher Maggid had an issue. I don't know why or what. The Bezitcher Maggid was a cripple. He was a cripple of so he couldn't walk. He had some kind of a medical condition, and there was talk that he should go to the Bashemtiv. Because the Baal Shem Tev was known as the Reif HaChel. Baal Shem Tev had a Sefer Refuah. You know, it's not a book of Refuah like you have in the Yemada, the Shleim HaMelech had a Sefer Refuah. The Baal Shem Tev had a book of medicines. You see it in the correspondence in his letters. Baal Shem Tev speaks to his daughter that she should take out the book of medicines and send it to him, but she shouldn't open and look inside. So Baal Shem Tev had remedies of some sort. I'm sure they were not medical remedies. I'm sure they were mystical remedies. But the Bnei Yish, the, 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 the Magid was thinking maybe you should go to the Baal Shem Tev, not to learn hate of him, to learn avoid of him, but Pachari should heal him. And the Pnei Yishu was very, very reticent. He was afraid. Until the following story happened. The Pnei Yishu was giving a shir. She was giving a shir. In the middle of the shir, a, a wagon drives up. The Baal Shem Tev is sitting in the wagon. And he sends in, the Baal Shem Tev sends in one of his Talmidim. And he walks over to the Pnei Yishua. In the middle of the Shir, he interrupts him. And he says to the Pnei Yeshua, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tev is here outside, and he wants to speak to you now. So the Pnei Yeshua said to this Talmud, with all due respect, right now I'm teaching a Shir. I'm not interrupting because it's a bit later. And if Yisrael Baal Shem Tev wants to speak to me, he can make an appointment. So the Shliach went back, and the Baal Shem Tev sent him in a second time. And he said, Hashem told me to tell you that he's here now and he wants to speak to you now. And he's waiting for you outside. He said a second time. First of all, I'm not going to interrupt because I'm giving a shit in his bitl tater. And second, if Hashem wants to speak to me, he can uh, make an appointment and come to see me. So the shliach walked out and he came in a third time. And the Hashem said, this message was this time, the Hashem wants to tell you that you're the Mara the Asra, you're the Rav in the city. And in, in Torah, Mora the Asra doesn't mean the rabbi, it means the master. The city is yours, belongs to you. So the question is, how come in your community people are eating treif? How come in your community people are eating treif? Nishkosha. And the Shliach walked out and the Bashemtev drove off. The Pnei Shul was disgusted. He was, because he, he was talking it off and he knew about Kashas, he oversaw the whole community. And the Bashemtev makes such an accusation. So he disregarded it, but now he knew for sure that the Baal Shem Tev is an imposter. No good. Anyway, he finished the shiir, and he didn't think anything much of it. He said that the Baal Shem Tev has this manipulative way of getting people to bow to his will. But the word of the Baal Shem Tev hounded him. They bothered him. I don't know how long it took, but he set some kind of a system in place to see if there was any truth to what the Baal Shem Tev said, and it turned out to be true. That the butcher was being Michael Neville's trefus. That the whole community was eating that kosher. I don't know whether it was a shiloh with the salting and the trebering, it was literally treif, 
But the Baal was right. The Bnei Yishor saw this. He called in the Mizrach Magid and he says, I'm Goizir. I'm commanding you to go to the Baal for Fua, for healing, not for healing. But he says that this was overwhelming to him. Such a mindset that the Baal should know that they were eating the Baal So he said to the Magid, you need to go to the Baal And he went. What's interesting about the Magids visiting the Baal is that we have a few letters between the Baal and the Magid, three letters that are published before they ever met, before they ever met. Um, where the Baal writes to the Mizrachar Magid that I got a message from my Talmud, Rab Nachman. This is Rab Nachman Danke, who's the Zayd of Rab Nachman Braslavir. That you're coming, and I'm very excited that you're coming, and I believe that when you'll come and you'll see what we're teaching, what we're learning, you'll become one of us. And the Magid writes back that he's not so sure of Puntazo yet, but he's coming and you'll see. In, in one of the letters, I, I, I may be confusing the order of the letters, but in one of the letters the Magid writes to the Baal Shem Tev, I haven't met you yet, I haven't met you yet, but, I, but I, I, I have a feeling that when we meet, we're going to become close. Anyway, the Magid came to the Baal Shem Tev, and here's the irony, he came to the Baal Shem Tev, the Baal Shem Tev should heal him, the Baal Shem Tev never healed him, just never healed him. The Tev, Magid remained a cripple, he became, remained his whole life, and he couldn't walk. I mean, the Pailishes say that the Mizritcher Magid never went to the Mikveh, because it was a Sakona, they say had the Magid gone to Mikveh, Mashiach would have come. I mean, there's all of these stories, but this is this is a lot of Hasidic groups say had the Magid. The Magid was not allowed to go to the Mikveh for medical reasons, so he didn't cure him. But they became very attached. Um, when the Magid came to the Baal Shem Tev, you must understand. When the Magid came to the Baal Shem Tev, the Baal Shem Tev already the Magid already then. A notorious God. He was a famous, famous God. He was a famous God. Already then. And uh, when he came to see the Baal Shem Tev, the Baal Shem Tev said to him, you're, you're a famous man as a very big God and a very big London. And also as somebody who knows a lot of Kabbalah. So the Baal Shem Tev says to the Magid, let's learn together a piece of Eitz a piece of the Kabbalah from Danizah. So the Magid said, okay. So he opened up, Hashem opened up the Yitzchayim, turned to a certain page, and he asked the Mizritcher Magid to translate the page, to tell him what's written there. So the Mizritcher Magid told him, Hashem, that what's written on the page, and when he finished, the Magid said, what you just said doesn't say on this page. Now the Magid knew what he was talking about. He was a very learned man. Hashem says he doesn't know what he's talking about, so he looked at the page again. He thought a little bit. And he told him again an interpretation of the page, which is pretty much the same as the first. He paid a little more attention to the details. And when he was finished, the Bashantev said to the Magid, but do what you just said is not written here. So he did it a third time. And again, the Bashantev told him that what he just read is not written here. So after three times, the Magid said to the Bashantev, you know what? You read it. If I'm reading it incorrectly, teach me how to read it. So the Baal Shem Tev repeated the page and he translated it exactly the same way as the Magid that translated, exactly the same way. There's only a small difference. Whatever was written on the page, the Magid saw. Whatever in Yonim and Seydes Atayda, mystical things that they were reading on the page, it was not philosophy, it was not ideas. As the Baal Shem Tev was reading, he saw. He saw. And this was, uh, this was his Shalom Aleichem to the Baal Shem Tev, you know? There's understanding Kabbalah, there's understanding Sayyidina Teira, there's the secrets of Teira. 
And then there is the experience of actually being there. This was the hello from the Baal Shem Tev to the Mizritcher Magid. And the Mizritcher Magid stayed, he became a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tev, and he was, he was from the last to show up. The Baal Shem Tev had Shishim Gibayim, that's what it brought. He had 60 tzaddikim. When the Baal Shem Tev Neshama had to come into this world, the Baal Shem Tev said that he's going to come into this world and he's going to reveal Hasidus, he's going to have a lot of opposition. And he wants support. So they gave him from heaven 60 tzaddikim. The Mizritcher Magid like Elisha and Eliyahu was given Pishnai Beruchai, the Mizritcher Magid, it says Nasikha from the Rebbe, was given 120 tzaddikim. But the Baal Shem Tev had 60 tzaddikim who were members of his movement and they made it a little easier for him to carry all of the criticism that came from the different groups who didn't understand what Hasidus was and they therefore criticized it. And the Magid was in the last. The Magid showed up in Tovkod Yudgimel. That means seven years before the Baal Shem Tev passed. This is when the Mizritcher Magid came to the Baal Shem Tev. There's a wonderful supplement to the story I just said. There's a wonderful supplement to the story that I heard from the Rebbe myself. The story is famous, but I heard the story in detail from the Rebbe. The Rebbe once told the story and a Fabrengen when I was present in a lot of detail. And this is the story. That when the Mizritcher Magid was a younger man, when the Mizritcher Magid was a young man, he had a Chavrusa, a study partner. This study partner was an Eloi, he was a prodigy, he was very brilliant, very smart. And the two of them learned Torah as partners on a very high level. But the partnership consisted of everything. They learned together Lomdis, Nigle, and Halacha. They also learned together Seydis they studied Kabbalah, Kisvei Harizal, and so forth. And they also davened together. They davened with the Kavonas, with the meditations of the Arizal. If you daven with the meditations, Arizal takes a little longer to daven than a regular minion. Even a Bostonian minion davens quicker than a Yidu davens with the Kavanas of the Arizal. The Crown Heights minion, that finished. But even the minion of Boston is a little quicker than a person who davens with the Kavanas of the Arizal. Anyway, these two men parted company. The Mesitcher Magid's Chavrusa. And the Mesitcher Magid went in different directions. The Mesitcher Magid's Chavrusa went into business. This was a time that if you were a Talmud Chacham, you married a rich girl. And Yeshver gave you a nadin, a dowry, which is to sit and collect interest but ahead to this kill what you learned for many years after the chasanah. And then when you were ready to start your life, there was a lot of money for business, often in a silent partnership. In other words, it was a time that B'nai Teireh, Talmidei Chachamim did well, not just spiritually, but they did well materially. So the Mezitcher Magitz Chavrusa did the same thing. He married a, a girl from a wealthy home. And he sat and learned by his father-in-law for many years and he supported him. And in the meantime, the dowry money grew. And then at some point, he took that entire sum of money and he invested in some kind of a business. And it allowed him, it allowed him to continue learning. It was, it was a good arrangement. It allowed him to continue learning. The Magid, the Mizitcher Magid, chose Dafke to become a Malamed. The Magid was a very, very great God, an unbelievably great God. And he chose to become a Malamed, a school teacher of the poorest children. And he negotiated this with his wife. He negotiated this with his wife. That the condition of their marriage is that they are going to live poshut in poverty. He's going to become a malamid. He's going to teach the poorest children in town who could ill afford to pay any schalimut, any tuition. So they were poorer than the poor people. This was a choice the Mizitcher Magid made before he met the Baal Shem. It's a choice he made that he was going to live, as he called it, to serve Hashem in poverty. This was his choice. And there's actually a story, there's stories about this. 
that uh, they had a son. Rabbi Avram the Malach, Avram the angel, they had one son. There's stories about the possibility of there being more children, but he had one son, the Magid had one son, and she, the Rebetzin, comes into him. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, <laughs> she was the Holy One, not him. He says he wants to suffer. She, to be married to him, was going to suffer with him. But she says to her husband, you know, you and I take it on ourselves to suffer like this here. But Avramala has no food. I can't send him to Cheder because he's starving. He's literally starving. And the Mizritcher Magid told his wife to go look in one of her outfits, one of her dresses. She probably had one dress or two dresses. And in one of the pockets, there was a gold coin. He says, take this coin and go and redeem it, and you'll have enough bread to support to go to Chedeth more than one day. And after a few minutes, he called her back and said, no, put the coin back. Because that coin is my sendisim. That coin is not a natural coin. It's a supernatural coin. There's in the house of Shtikel Abraid, someplace hidden away, there was a piece of bread. Take this piece of bread and give it to the, their boy. He built to go to Chedeth. And when the story is told that this unfolded, Hademagad one tear trickled out of his eye. And when this, he cried that his son is suffering like this here. And when this tear trickled out of his eye, he went into a trance. The Magid went into a trance. And he said almost to himself, which means the merit of serving Hashem in poverty, we lost. That tear cost him you understand what this means? It cost him the opportunity to serve Hashem in poverty and he never became not so poor. He was plenty poor after that. But this is the story that when his wife told him that his son is starving and he let one tear, so he was punished. What was the punishment? That he's not going to be able to serve Hashem in poverty the way he lived until then. He's going to have to have a little better gehalt, a little better panosa. This is the kind of people you understand. We understand very little of such people. But the story was as follows. Many years later, the Mizitcher Magid met his former friend that they had learned together with Nikle and Halacha and Kabbalah and they also davened together. And they had a few weeks to spend together. And they decided to go back to their old Seder to learn as they had learned so many years before when they were young alike. And um, they set up the schedule to learn. And the schedule allotted the time for learning Nikle, time for learning Kabbalah, and the time for davening. Whatever the time it was, two hours. Again, you have to understand, this story I heard personally from the Rebbe in quite a bit of detail. So this friend of the Magid's davens in the time allotted, the amount of time that it takes. When he finishes davening, the Mesitcher Magid is still davening and the davening took him many, many hours more. In other words, he ruined the whole schedule. Instead of davening for two hours, he davened let's say, for five or six. So when the Magid finally finished davening, he says, I don't understand you. He says, I went into business and I became worldly. And nevertheless, I can still concentrate on the Kavanas and I can daven the Kavanas in two hours. You stayed in Kaidish, you didn't go into business, you stayed in holy activities and you lost your concentration. It takes you five hours to go through the same meditations that you and I used to do in two. So the Mizitcher Magid tells us, I became a Chosid. Chavrusa says to the Helik Magid, what does that mean? What did he become a Chosid? So the Mizitra Magid asked him the following question. He says, you are a businessman, right? How do you run your business? So he says two times a year, he has to close his Gemara and he has to travel to the fair in Leipzig where he purchases 
material wares uh, wholesale at a discount. He has to rent wagons and collect money, he has to borrow money, and he travels off to Leipzig, and he stocks up on whatever supplies he thinks the town will need. It takes him a few weeks to travel, a few weeks to, to buy all the material and to come home. And then he has to do inventory, he has to take apart what he has to see, you know, to keep a record of what they have and what they need and what they're going to sell and what they have sold and so forth. And then I go back to the base of Medrash, he says, and my wife runs the retail part of the business. So about 12 weeks out of the year, I'm busy with the business. And the remaining 40 weeks, I'm able to be like we were all those years ago. I'm sitting and learning all day long. My wife is running the retail part of the business. So the market says, so 12 weeks a year, 12 weeks a year, you cannot learn, you cannot dive as well. I'm a religious Jew, I dive with a minion, I have a shir. But no, I'm busy with the financial part of my life. I have person to support his family. So the market says, what if I can give you a system where you can accomplish these 12 weeks in a few hours? A few weeks, right? And of course he told him about the internet, yeah. And he didn't believe him, okay. <laughs> Who would have believed it? So he says to him, what if I could give you a method where you could accomplish what you take 12 weeks to accomplish in a few hours? He says, how is that possible? He says, simple. Sit down in your home and fantasize, imagine, going to the Gvidim in town, to the rich people in town, asking them for loans, going to the local coachman and hiring several of them to go with you to Leipzig to purchase the material to carry back. And then in your imagination, you'll travel to Leipzig, you'll spend the other one hotel, you'll spend the night, the second hotel, you'll spend the night. You'll come to Leipzig, you'll go into a hotel, you'll find the fair, you'll meet the people, you'll negotiate the deals, you'll bargain, you'll haggle, you'll get what you want, and you can accomplish the whole six weeks in, a, and in two hours. Three hours max. You can go through the entire journey in your mind, and you'll be back home the same day in the book of Medrash. So this friend of the market said, I mean, you're being ridiculous, he says to him. I mean, the point of going to Leipzig is to get the actual material. If I sit in my house and I fantasize about coming to Leipzig, I'm going to have fantasy material and fantasy business and fantasy parnasa. So the Magid says, that's the Taichab HaKeim HaChosid. You and I would sit down and we'd meditate about all these levels in the Kabbalah and the whole thing was a fantasy. We didn't go there, we didn't experience it. We just ideas, fantasy. We came back with nothing, he says. I went to the Heilig of Shemtiv and the Baal Shemtiv taught me Chesidus. And I think this story is a supplement to the story before. And what the Baal Shem Tev told me when you learn, say this, you have to go there. You have to go there. In other words, you have to actually bring back the godly ideas and levels and inspirations that you read about in the Sifrei Kabbalah. And the Maggit finished, Undos Nemzait. And that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of time. So the Maggid became a member of the Holy Baal Shem Tev's Chabura. The Maggid became a member of the Baal Shem Tev's Chabura. And he was the last to arrive, Mamish. The Baal Shem Tev, many great Talmidim. Amongst them, there was the Taldas Yankov Yosef, who was from the first to arrive, who was considered, I once heard from Anan Chabad Rebbe, that he was older even than the Baal Shem Tev, the Taldas was. And he, he, by the time the Mesnitcher Maggid came, the Baal Shem Tev was surrounded by many, many, many great, great holy men. And for some reason, the Rizitra Magid became the successor of all the Gedalim who around the Baal Shem Tev, the one who took the Baal Shem Tev's place was not the Toldus Yankov Yasef, but the Rizitra Magid. And it was odd. It seemed very, very, very odd. It seemed very, very strange. In fact, there was a printed letter, a printed letter from the Baal Shem Tev to the Yankov Yasef of Pulna, to his Talmud of Yankov Yasef of Pulna. It's printed in the Atomim. 
He writes to him that I gave you manuscripts. Well, Shanti writes to his Talmud that told us, I gave you manuscripts. And I made a mistake. The manuscripts are not for you. The manuscripts are for Harav Berenu. The Mezitchim, they called them in the Mezitchim, they called them Berenu. The affection is going to say, Doi Ber, Berenu. Please give the manuscripts to Berenu. The Belshemtiv writes to the Toldus, please take the manuscripts which I gave you because it was a mistake. I should not have given them to you. And give them to, uh, give them to the Mezitchim market. When the Mezitchim market became a Rebbe, the Chavrai was a bit surprised. They couldn't understand. He was in the last ones to show up. He came the last seven years or eight years of the position of Baal Shem Some of them had been the Baal Shem especially the Toldos, for 20 years and more. And now he, he got the job. He became the Rebbe. And you have to remember, when the Magid took over the Baal Shem he was the only leader. All, the other, all of his friends had to bow to him. When he passed away, they pluralized Hasidus. They diversified Hasidus. Every one of the Tamidia Magid opened their own business in their own form and their own style. But when the Vashemte passed away, that did not happen. Vashemte passed away, all of them. People like Rabbi Chanes Lechevet and the Pinchas Koritzet and the Tolus Yankov Yosef and many, many others, they had to show deference to the Mezitcher Magid. And it was odd to them. It was odd to them how come the one who comes last ends up with the job. Not that they. If the Baal wants the Magnet to be Rebbe, the Magnet has to be Rebbe, but it was strange. So the Toldus, this is a story which is brought, the Toldus, Yaakov Yosef, actually said to the Mizitcher Magnet, I was by the Rebbe for 20 years. And the Toldus, Yaakov Yosef, was Adam Gadol Yosef, was a very great man, a big tzaddik. How come you were Zeichet to be Malim, a Koim Kotcher, and I was not? He asked the Mizitcher Magnet straight, why did you merit to succeed the position of our Holy Master and not I? So the Mezitcher Magid answered him. He says, do you remember that the Rebbe in his office had a very, very large chandelier? He had a light fixture which didn't belong in a room. In an office, he had a chandelier that belongs in a, a much, much larger room. He says, yeah, it was talking strange. Why did the Baal need such a big, heavy chandelier in his private room? He says, did you ever notice <coughs> that attached to the chandelier, there were towels? Aluntiyes, towels. He says, yeah. He says, you know what that was for? He says, how am I supposed to know? Then he continues, he says, do you remember that when the Rebbe came from the mikveh, the Hilke Baal came from the mikveh of Shabbos, he would close his door, and you were not allowed to open his door even if there was a fire. Between the time the Baal came from the mikveh and Shabbos, he locked his room, and nobody, no matter what was happening, the door had to remain locked. And the Toldus said, yeah, I remember. So the Maggid says, did you wonder why? So of course I wondered why. And the Maggid says to the Toldus, I connected the two. I connected the big chandeliers with the towels hanging from it, with the Yerif Shabbos. When the Helga Bashemtev came from the mikveh, he would lock his door, and no one was allowed to come in under any conditions. So one week when the Bashemtev, when the Rebbe is going in the mikveh, when the Rebbe went to the mikveh, and the Maggid didn't go to the mikveh, I snuck into his room and I climbed under the table. The Bashemtiv came back from the mikveh. He locked the door. And he made sure all the windows were covered that nobody could see. And then he took the two towels and he tied them to his wrists. And he started to do kavonis to make what's called Aliyah Sanishomeh. Every year of Shabbos, the Bashemtiv used to go up. 
and he stood for a few minutes and he says, there's somebody in the room. He felt the resistance. There's somebody in the room. And the Maggit says, I'm under the table and I'm watching this and I realized that I stepped over the line. So I came out of my hiding place and I apologized. I said, Rebbe, please allow me to leave. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be such an invasive. And the Valshemtev said, it's, it is too spät, it's too late. This door is locked, he can't open the door. And he took two towels, he tied them to the chandelier, he told me that I should tie myself up. And he said in Yiddish, and we went up together. And the Toldus said to the Magi, the Vosas de Gezen. The Toldus says to the Mizitra Magi, then what did you see? And the Mizitra Magi said, What I saw, I will not tell you. But this is the Magi. The Toldus asked the Magi why he was to be Mamalim, Akim Kachif. And the Valshemtiv, this was the story. This was the story that the Magi himself told him. As I mentioned before, the Magi from the last to come. Now the Balshemtiv was very different than the Mizitra Magid, and I'm going to talk about the Mizitra Magid uh, a little later. I'm going to talk about the, the Rebbeship of the Mizitra Magid also. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry. The Balshemtiv was very different than the Magid. Balshemtiv was incredibly open. Balshemtiv was like Avraham Avinu, he was all love, and it was almost impossible for the Balshemtiv to reject you. I say almost because we have a few stories of the Baal that rejected people, but the Baal Avas Yisrael, and Bechal Avas Anushi is the love of humankind and even of animals, had no limits. And he was open to everybody. And the Baal had to juggle the Chavraya Kadisha, the holy society, the inner circle of his Talmidim, whom he taught Chsidis, which was a very deep thing. And all the thousands and thousands of simple people that came to him, Shabbos and Yom Tif and so forth, to get a little warmth, to get a little inspiration, to get an upliftedness. And he was constantly juggling this here. So the, the Mizitra Magid told the Alter Rebbe the following story. It's printed in the back of the Tillin. This story is printed in the back of the Tillin. In other words, this one you could look up and see if it's true or not. The Mizitra Magid said, it was around Tovkuf Tezvov, that means uh, 17... 55, it was five years before the Magid passed, the passed. By this point, the Rebbe had a whole dish, a table full of tzaddikim sitting around the table. But on Friday night, and then Shabbos afternoon, Shalashudas, the dish was open to the public. We sat at the table, the Chavrai sat at the table, and around us, pardon me, stood all of these very simple people. A lot of them were Pashat. They came to Mejbush for food. They were starving. They were poor people. And the Baal Shem was so kind the Maggid says that he, one man did never becher, but Shemtiv gave him his own becher to make Kiddush. Another person gave him a piece of fish from his own plate, he gave him a challah. And we, the Maggid says, are watching this. And we're wondering, why is the Rebbe wasting so much time and effort on these extraordinarily simple people? Why is the Rebbe being Makarov such extraordinarily simple people? Naturally, none of us said anything, but this is what our thought was. So the Maggid tells the Alter Rebbe. Shabbos lunch, the second meal of Shabbos, was closed to the public. It was only open to the Chavrayah. It was a whole different atmosphere. The room was clean. There was a seat for everybody. The Malshem Shulchan, they sang the Gunim. The Hebrew Gunim said Toiro. And the whole meal had a, a spirit, literally, of Shabbos Shalmaila. It was like a Shabbos on a higher level. It was just, you experienced Shabbos the way Shabbos is experienced for real by big tzaddikim. He says, we're sitting at the table, says the Maggit to the Altar Rebbe. And we're thinking, this is how it should look. 
It should always look like this. Why is the Rebbe wasting his time with all these schnutters, literally schnutters, these unemployed, broken people? He should spend time with us. The Balshemtiv, of course, heard their thoughts. And at some point during the meal, the Balshemtiv asked his Talmudim to close their eyes and not open them until he tells them to open their eyes. So they all closed their eyes. And the Balshemtiv told them to sing three Nigunim, three Hasidic melodies. And when they finished, he t asked each Talmud to take his right hand and put it on the shoulder of the Talmud sitting next to him to complete a circuit, a circle. And after they made this here circuit, the Balshemtiv took to his holy hand, his right hand, and he put it on the Talmud sitting to his right and his left hand, and he put it on the Talmud sitting to his left. As soon as the circuit was closed, they heard what was happening at that time in the Balshemtiv's Beis Medrash. The simple people who came for Shabbos were not allowed in for Shabbos lunch. So we're sitting in Shul saying Tillim. And they were saying Tillim with their whole heart, their whole soul. It, it's very difficult to duplicate in English, but they were speaking to the Ebishter in Yiddish. One calls the Ebishter, my beloved father, compassionate God, the beautifully sweet, sincere expressions of connection to Hashem, full of love. And the Mazitra Magid says, I was sitting there with my friends, and I'm hearing all of these incredibly simple people who are sitting now in Shul, and they're saying Tillim. And I felt that I cannot say Tillim the way they're saying Tillim. I don't have as much sincerity as they have. Then the Balshevda removed his hands and the voice stopped. He stopped hearing it. And we understood why the Balshevda is embracing these simple people. Because in some ways these simple people stood higher than us. But the story doesn't finish. The story doesn't finish with this. The Mizitra Magnet continues. Just the Alter Rebbe. I was very ashamed of myself. I was very ashamed of myself. How could I have been Maharad Acharabi? Bashamtiv is my Rebbe. Bashamtiv is my teacher. Why did I doubt him? Why did I question one of his conducts, his behaviors? And he had to show me that he knows what he's doing. And it haunted me. For a long time, I was disturbed by the fact that I did not trust my Rebbe. And then he had a dream. The Mizrachamagad had a dream. And this is all in the back of the Tillum. In the dream, I saw a cheder, a classroom. And the Malamid in the cheder was Meisha Rabbeinu. Meisha Rabbeinu himself was teaching the children. And they were learning Chumash. And they were learning Pashas Lech Lecha. I don't know if you know about this. In Pashas Lech Lecha, Hashem tells Avram Avinu he's going to have a child and he laughs. In Pashas Vayera, Hashem tells Sora that they're going to have a child and he laughs. But Hashem only reprimands Sora, he doesn't reprimand Avraham. So Rashi says, because Avraham didn't laugh in doubt, Rashi laughed, Avraham even laughed in joy. But Moshe Rabbeinu did not teach the children Rashi's Pshat. Moshe Rabbeinu taught the children that Avraham Avinu laughed because he didn't believe. Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Kidalach, not Rashi's interpretation, that he laughed with joy, but rather that he taught, he told them that Avraham Avinu laughed because he couldn't believe it. He didn't believe the Ebishter. So one of the children raises his hand and says, Rebbe, Avraham Avinu was a tzaddik. He was the first one to sacrifice his life for the spreading of godliness to the whole world. How could he doubt God? This is what he asked, the Meshach Rabbeinu. How could he doubt God? And Meshach Rabbeinu answered this little boy in the Chedid. Avraham Avinu is a very big tzaddik. And he was the first one to be Mesa Nefesh, to be Fazma Lukusi's Barach Ba'el, teach the whole world about God. But he has a body of flesh. And Afilu Guf Kodesh Basaru. 
which means even a body that's holy is still the flesh. This was Moshe Rabbein who explained to the kid that even a big tzaddik could make a mistake. And the Magid felt that this dream was an answer from heaven to the fact that he had doubted his Rebbe and he was so upset with himself for doubting his Rebbe. So Moshe Rabbeinu came and told him, bigger people than you have doubted their Rebbe because after all, when you're in a, you're in a, in a Guv Gashmi, there's a, there's a limitations. And of course, the famous story that happened, the famous, famous story, the Magid was a Malamit, was a, a school teacher of the poorest children, of the poorest children, so he lived in a street, which was a very narrow street. The road was very narrow. And the mud wouldn't even dry in the summer. In other words, the street was so narrow, the sunlight never baked directly on that street. So even in the middle of the summer, that street was muddy. In the winter, it was a, it was a, a, a pond. But in the summer, it was muddy. It was never dry. So the Magid lived. A yid came to Helech Abal Shemtev for a Shabbos to us. And he was going home. This story is in the Lakut and the Burim. Tzvi tells this story. And when he's leaving, the Vashemta says, you know, you're passing by Mizrich. I want you to know one of my favorite Talmidim lives in Mizrich. And his name is Beryl the Malamid. Beryl the Malamid in Mizrich. He says, do me a favor. When you go to Mizrich, go into Beryl the Malamid and send him my regards. So he came to Mizrich and he starts asking people about Beryl the Malamid. Most people didn't even know who he was. And he asked, and he asked, and he asked, until find, yeah, Bel Malamit. <laughs> He's poorer than the poor people. He's the teacher of the poorest kindalach. No one realized how great a Gohan he was, how great a tzaddik he was. This was his choice. So he goes to Bel Malamit's house. He comes to the street. I mean, it was till his knees in mud. Till his knees in mud. They would put down planks, and he would slip off the planks. It was a mess. He comes into the Magid's house. He had to probably bend down, because the, sea, the, the house was sunk into the ground. And there's not a piece of furniture. There's no chairs. The chairs are stumps of wood. There's no table. There's a, simply a plank of wood on top of some stumps. This was the table that they sat at. This was the bed that the Magid and his Balabasta slept on. And he walks in. And the children are learning. And he comes in. And the Magid tells him, Shalom Aleichem. And he says to him right away, Understand, I am now teaching. This is, this is a, a, a person who is employed. There's not a lot of dishonest, so I cannot talk to you now. Come back later and I'll we'll talk. I'll tell you when the cheder is over, you'll come back and we'll schmooze. So he left. At the end of the school day, he came back to the Helika Magid and they hugged and they kissed and they talked and they talked about the Baal Shem Tev and the Baal Shem Tev's teachings and the Gansan and Mises. And but this man couldn't take it. He says, how could you be so poor? I don't understand. How could any human being live so impoverished? How could you be so poor? So the Magid, it didn't really bother him too much. But the Magid said to this man, you're a Rav, you're a Rav, you're a Rav. And you have a shtetl, you have a city, yes? And you have a shtetl, you have a position, yeah? You have a home, yeah? And in your home, you have how many rooms? I mean, today we have five, six, seven rooms. You probably had two or three, and it was considered a big oishet, right? You have several rooms, and your floor is above the, your, your floor is above the ground, so it's not full of mud, and it's not cold, and it's not smelly, and it's not rotten. But you travel a lot. When you travel, you have the same accommodations. When you travel, you have the same accommodations. He says, no, when I'm traveling, I have to do with what I have. So the Magad says, I don't get it. If at home you need to have these accommodations, how could you travel without them? So he tells the Helika Magad, in the name is Antesh. A home is different than when a person's traveling. And all the Magad did was repeat. 
In Derheim is Andesh. At home, things are different. He said it several times. In Derheim is Andesh. Until the man got the message, the Maggid was saying, the home is Ganeid. Not here. Like it says in the Mishnah, in Pekiyovis, this word is a hallway. When you go into the hall to get into the palace. And the Maggid said, in Ganeiden it'll be nice. Over here I'm traveling. And when you travel it's okay if the accommodations aren't the best. This is the Maiz Medeilik of Maggid. The Baal Shem Tov passed away, Shuas Tov Chuf Chuf. 1760. Not the best way, Shuas. There's of course a lot of stories about all of that, but when, this is not a night of the Baal Shem Tov. Our topic is the Heilik of Maggid. When the Baal Shem Tov was nostalgic, you must understand it was now 1760. Exodus was born in 1734. So this is 26 years later. It was the Rebbe for 26 years. By this point, Hasidus had had some success. But by this point, Hasidus had drawn a lot of attention to itself. And there was a lot of opposition. A lot of opposition. From many circles. Including from real G'dayli Yisrael. I mean, the, the real Mulchama that would happen with Vilna and the Vilna God, it really started more by the Magid than even more by the Alter Rebbe. But the Balshemtiv had plenty of his Nantus. And the Talmideh Balshemtiv were acutely aware that if this movement, if this infant Chassidus was going to survive the Balshemtiv, they would need a very strong leader to deal with the hardships, but only would get harder now that the Hevika Magid Balshemtiv was gone. But there was no tavoah, there was no will. So little leave a will. So in the absence of a will, they did the next best thing. They put in the Balshemtiv's place his son. Balshemtiv, for those who do not know, had a son and a daughter. His daughter is much, much more famous. She was greater than her brother. I mean, all the big tzaddikim who were descendants of the Balshemtiv were descendants of, of Rebbe and Odl, including the Nachman of Raslev and many others. Balshemtiv's and her husband's name was Rebichil, the Daichel. This is all famous pieces of Hasidic history, not Chabad, but Hasidic history. And the Bashemtiv's son's name was Reb Tzvi. Reb Tzvi was a very big tzaddik. He was a very holy man. But he didn't understand politics at all. He had no appreciation for what it means that you have to protect your movement against enemies that are trying to destroy it. But they had no choice. The Rebbe passes away. There's no tzavah. According to Jewish law, according to any tradition, the right successor should be the son. And Abtsi became the Malmok with the Balshemtiv. And within months, they started to see the Hasidic edifice corroding. When a movement like this begins to come apart, you see it on the fringes. You start to see it at the edges. You know? The center is still hard and strong, but the edges start to fall. And they were very broken by this, the Tamida Balshemtiv. But this was the Rebbe, Abtsi was the Rebbe, there's no questions asked. And this lasted one year, one year. Till the first yard site. The first yard site was Shuvah Stokov Chafalev, 1761. And a lot of Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tev came for Shuvah to Mezhebush, to be by the new Rebbe of Tzvi, and to commemorate the first yard site of the Rebbe. And he sat at the head of the table, the Tzvi sat at the head of the table, and he said, Torah. And after he finished saying Torah, he said, the Tate is by Mir which means in English, Rebbe said, my father came to me. And my father told me that the Shekhinah and all of the heavens 
have gone over to the bed in you. Let's wish him Mazel Tov. He'll get up and he'll sit in my seat, and I'll sit in his. And these two men got up, and they changed outfits because the Rebbe wore a silk outfit with a felt uh, collar, and all the Talmudim just had a plain silk. And the Maggid sat down in the, in the seat of the Tzvi, and the Tzvi sat down in the Maggid seat, and that's how he became a Rebbe. No politics, no noise, no tumult. And the previous Rebbe says that the greatness of Reb Tzvi, a person to have tasted what it means to be a Rebbe, and the koiches that you get from the Ebishter for that position, just to give it up and to let somebody else have it, because this is what the Baal Shem Tev said was an act of anivis that is incredible. The Friedrich writes about Reb Tzvi. That's how the Magyad became a Rebbe. And he immediately said, I'm a Chesidus, I'm I think it's brought that this is the Magyad that he said this in the Tere in about yesterday, but I'm not sure. And the Magyad became a Rebbe. The Magyad couldn't walk. He was physically very limited. But he was an incredible visionary and he was a great leader. And he immediately put stops into the corroding body of Chesidus and he began to reinforce it. And the Magyad became a very different kind of Rebbe. The Magyad was the Baal Shem Tev successor. You cannot find two people who were a master and a disciple who were sustaining the same movement who were more opposite than the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid. The Magid canceled all the Anashim Shutim. It was over, finished. But the Mizitcha Magid did not have around him people, simple people, only Tzadikim. Not only that, he had picked his Tzadik. I mentioned to you before that the Baal Shem Tev negotiated that they should give him 60 tzaddikim to stand with him. The Magid had 120 tzaddikim, and he hand selected them, he hand picked them. And he was involved only with them, only with them. <coughs> However, he told each one to go back where they live and open up a Beis HaMedrish during his lifetime and teach Hasidus the way they understand it. So the Magid created a legitimate pyramid of tzaddikim. He taught only the Chavraya Kadisha, only the members of the Holy Society, a very close-knit group. And he asked each one to go where they lived and to create a Hasidus, which was a flavor that reflected the personality of each Talmud. And it also, to a great extent, reflected the flavor of the places where they lived. Did everyone start? I met a Yid, a, a Kleisenberger Yid, who told, he told me on the phone, he told me that he had a Yid with the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said to him that the different Hasidic groups that you have represented the different Darke Alim, or different styles of learning that existed in Europe at the time. And the Rebbe said, and Chabad was Lite. So that was a Litvish Aderech. Chassid was Litvish Aderech. He says, today all of the yeshivas have adopted the Derech of Lite, so all of Chassidim have to adopt the Derech of Chabad. That's what the Rebbe told him. But at that time, each, each Rebbe, each one of the Tabinyamagi, during his lifetime, opened up a shop where they lived. And they disseminated Hasidus, they created a following based on the inspiration they got from their Rebbe and their own spirit, their own style. But the Magid himself was involved only with Tzadikim, only with Tzadikim. And we know stories of people who came to the Magid and they wanted to be accepted into his inner circle. And the Magid was very strict. He handpicked who he allowed into his inner world. And if he didn't allow you in, you were not allowed. So many people came to the Hedek Magid, and they wanted to join the movement and the Magid said whatever reasons he gave or didn't give that he's not accepting them and they would leave, they would go home. But some wanted to stay anyway. They felt that if they can't serve the Magid, they should at least serve the, the Magid's students, the Magid's disciples, the Magid's Talmidim. 
So you had people in Mezrich who in a different place would have been very prominent men, Rabonim, Goinim, some of them were even Sadiqim, but the Magid did not accept them into their circle. So they served in Mezrich, when they would visit Mezrich, the Talmidiyah Magid. And they called him Harubnikis. Now please don't correct my Russian, because it's not even Russian. It's what I read in Yidl Chitrik Sefer. Harubnikis. It means oven warmers, or it's supposed to mean oven warmers. And if it's not, forgive me, that's what I know. Yes. Huh? Anybody knows, recognizes the word, I'd love to hear commentary about Harubnikis. They made, they, they, they used to, when they had a fabric, they would cook, they would chop wood, they would warm the stove, and they would cut the herring. They served the Talmidiyah Magid. The Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe said once that he overheard the discussion between three of these Harubnikis, three of the rejects, who the Magid refused to accept into his personal inner circle. They were having a discussion about Avram Avinu. That Avram Avinu took his son to the Akedah. Avram Avinu took his son to the Akedah. Which is, which is, a, it is I mean, when you read Akedah every year, it, it gives you a, tr a tremble. Yeah, Hashem told Avram Avinu to take his own son and make him a cotton. And he didn't tell him not to do it till the last second. And Avram did it. Avram did it. It's, it's crazy. It's, 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 every year when I get to the story, I, I get a little uncomfortable with the story. But it's a story in Chumash. Happened. But they had a different perspective. One of the, the all three said, if Abishah comes to me personally and tells me to do this with my own son, I can do it right away. Why do you make such a big deal out of Avram Avinu? I would do the same thing. Avram Avinu is such a big hero that he passed all 10 tests, including the last test. It actually says, please stand up to this test so they shouldn't say that the earlier nine tests were nothing. And Avram passes this test. And then of course, the Abishah tells him, now I know that you have not just Avas Hashem, but Yiras Hashem and so forth. So these chavre were saying, if Hashem came to me personally and told me to do the same thing, I would do it. So they were discussing it. So one of them says, the answer is that Avram was the first. Avram was he was the first. The first person to do the Mesiris Nefesh is the hardest. The second one said that Itaka would do the same thing, but Avram did it with Rizus. Avram did it with alacrity. He didn't hesitate. He rushed to do Hashem's will right away. And the third one said that Avram Avinu did it with Avram did it with joy. And in Tanya, the Al-Trebbe brings some of these reasons. Zizus, and again, Kedish Chobes, he brings, he doesn't quote who said it, but he says this word. The Al-Trebbe said, I stood and I listened to these three Talmidim, who the Magid would not allow into his inner circle having this conversation. And I heard what they explained. And the Al-Trebbe says, I want you to know each one of those three, what they said they were prepared to do themselves. In other words, the one who said that Avram was special because he was the first would have been the first. The one who said that Avram was special because he did it bezrizus would have done it bezrizus. And the one who said that Avram was special because he did it would have done it besimcha also. So if you can imagine, these were the people that the Magid didn't include in the Chavrai. So who were Talmidim Magid? How great were the Magid's Talmidim? They were incredible tzaddikim, serving Hashem at the highest levels. And the Mezitcher Magid was involved with them only. And he had a whole system. The Mezitcher Magid's Bismedish was a very serious place. They would all visit for a month at a time. And the Mezitcher Magid would set them up in Chavrusis, in pairs. That they spent three months in Mezitcher, four months in Mezitcher, you want them to learn with one another. Nikle and Kabbalah. And they also davened at a minion. The whole Chavrai would daven together. The minion probably took hours. And the Mezitcher Magid would teach them Avoida and Torah and Chassidus when they visited Mezrich in this kind of a group. 
And he made the Chabrusas. He set up the partnerships. Who should learn with whom? When the Altarebbe came, Altarebbe was very young. He was only 18 or 19. And most of the Tamid Yamagid were much older, or at least significantly older. And Beklau, when young people came to the Magad, he didn't even turn to look in their direction. Al-Tarebbe shows up, and the Magad gives him so much attention, they couldn't believe it. The previous Rebbe writes that when the Al-Tarebbe first arrived, his Chavedim, the Talmud Magad, looked at him as a, young, as a young boy, as a subordinate. When they saw the love that the Magad showed him, they started to treat him as an equal. And at some point, they actually started treating him as a superior. But when the Alter Rebbe came, the Magid moved all the Chavrusas. He said, changed all the partnerships. He moved everybody around. The reason he did it is because he wanted the Alter Rebbe to learn with his son, the Vron the Mahram, the angel. But he didn't want it to be evident. He didn't want people to realize why he's changing the Chavrusas. So he moved everybody around. And when all the dust settled, the Alter Rebbe ended up learning with the Malach. They learned together in England, they learned together in Kabbalah and Chesidus. Because he wanted that the Alter Rebbe should learn with his son, the Vron the angel, from the Malach. There's a story, the famous, famous story, which the Rebbe told the Lord and also about Ichaz, the tape of it actually, where the Middle Rebbe, who was named after the Magid, has a dream. You may know this story. The Middle Rebbe has a dream. And in the dream, the Balshemtiv tells the Magid to walk across a, a, a bridge. The whole bridge was a, was a big log of wood and a string that you held onto and you walked across. When the Magid climbed onto the log to cross the bridge, the water, the waters, of the, bridge, the waters of that river started to churn and they began to wash over the bridge and they almost knocked the Magid into the water until they got to the opposite side. When the Altarebbe climbed onto that plank of wood, that this log, the waters quieted. And the middle Rebbe asked the Altarebbe, how come when the Rebbe, your Rebbe, climbed on the log, the waters were churning and he barely got across to the opposite side. And when you climbed on the log, the waters quieted. And the Alter Rebbe said, quote, this is, a, I think, a quote, which means basically you cannot compare me to my Rebbe. The Rebbe I made by the children. The Rebbe the Magid didn't make by the children. And it was, it, it put his whole chesidus into a precarious situation. But how goof kasha? This is a very, very good question. If you're the Malamok of the Baal Shem Tif, the Baal Shem Tif found the way of loving every simple person, how come the Magad took such an opposite extreme where he crunched his following into a very narrow group of, of elite Talmidim and he didn't let anybody else join? Why didn't he do the same thing that his Rebbe did? Now, I never saw an explanation in the Sikha for this, but I'm saying this on my own thought. I think it's common sense. And it's a pattern that you see by all. The hardest position to be in any movement is the second. Yitzchak came after Avram. He did not have an easy job. Yeshua came after Moshe. He didn't have an easy job. The Rachav came after the Aril. He didn't have an easy job. The Magad came after the Vashem. He didn't have an easy job. The Middle Rebbe came after the Alter Rebbe. He didn't have an easy job. Why? Because when a movement starts and it's so powerful and it's so successful, it's so much about the person. When the Bashamdiv was a Rebbe, Hasidus was him. And the Bashamdiv was an Estalak. Often, such movements, they come along, they become very successful. When the person who founds it is physically missing, there's no heart. And it either changes a lot, it becomes dilute, and it becomes not consistent with the original message, or it fizzles, it just dies. How do you make a movement 
founded by a person, survived the person. This was the, this is my interpretation of why the Maggid did this. The Maggid knew that Hasidus was the Balshemtiv. But the Balshemtiv's physical body lived 62 years, and the Balshemtiv was gone, physically was gone. How do you preserve that what the Balshemtiv teaches should continue being what the Balshemtiv teaches, even though the Balshemtiv is physically not here? There's only one way. You take those teachings, and you take a very small following of very, very great people who are able to receive the teachings in the kind of way that it's loyal to the original. And when they follow those teachings, for lack of words, you separate the ideas from the personality. I think the Mithla Rebbe did a very similar thing in a different way. The Mithla Rebbe was, Yartat was a week ago, Yud Kislev, also was the same thing. He was a, a circle the wagons kind of a Rebbe. And I, I, this is my own interpretation. This is my own pshat. I don't know if it's true. I think it's quite a reasonable. But this is the fact. The Mizritcher Magid, I heard this from Nanchabadnikis, was the Rebbe of all the Rebbes. That's what he was the Rebbe of all the Rebbes. He was involved only with Sadiqim. And his following became the basis for the pluralization, for the great diversification of Hasidus. And the Alter Rebbe, like the Magid, the Magid spent eight years by the Balshemtiv, the Alter Rebbe spent eight years by the Magid. And the same idea, he was one of the last people to come, he was the youngest people to come, and nevertheless, the Mizritcher Magid had a special relationship with him. During the lifetime of the Magid, there was already significant Hisnagdus, the, the situation with the Misnagdim was getting very bad. I'm going to just tell you one story. It's a famous story, but you may not know the story. It's called the story of Hasidic Talk. Talk Hasidim. It's in the day of Rashab Sichis. It's an unpleasant story, but I want to tell it to you nevertheless. Hasidus was mostly in the Ukraine. It was in, the, in Galicia, in Poland. It was in lands where the Litvish were not very strong. It was the people were simple, most by and large. And Hasidus was very much heart, emotional, heart, and it worked. But there were a number of Tamidia Magid who lived in Lite. They lived in the territory that where the Misnagdim were the strongest, in Lithuania, in White Russia. And if you were a Rebbe in those places, you had to be very careful. You had to be very, very careful. You made the one wrong mood, then you could be The names of the personalities who lived in Lite. One of the names that gets forgotten is the Levi Yitzhak Abadichev. Because the Abadichev Rav, before he was a Abadichev, was Rav in Pinsk. Pinsk was one of the most important Litvish cities then. And he was physically thrown out of Pinsk by you know who? By Avigdir ben Chaim, who later would have the Altarev arrested. He physically threw him out of town. And the Abadichev moved to Abadichev. Amongst the, the first Hasidim in Lite were the Kalina, the stolen Hasidim, the Kalina. So the Mesnagdim would make fun of Hasidim. In their writings, they called us, all of us, collectively, it didn't matter where you came from, we were called Karlinim. That was their uh, allusion, Hasidim are Karlinim, because the first Litvish Hasidis was Hasidis in Karlin. But there were others. The Medlaradaka was in Vitebsk, the Vesal Palatska was in Palatsk, the Alterebe was in Lajne, and there were a few others all over Russia, and they had to be very careful. One of the Tzadikim who was in Lite was a Yid by the name of Ram Kaliskir, Ram Kaliskir. He was a Koyin, he was a Tzadik Gomor, he was a Gorn in England, I see this, and, this there. and he was a very, very passionate man. And he collected a following of young men who were very sharp, very sharp, very quick-witted, very sharp, big London. And he created a movement of followers that for lack of words, you would call them radicals, extremists. 
For example, that you would see one of his Talmidim in the middle of the winter, middle of the summer. He would take a winter foot and a winter pelt, a winter fur, and turn it inside out and walk through the streets with a broom between his legs. You know, they did things to, to debase themselves. It was a chassidus that involved a lot of bitlayesh, a lot of uh, self, it was a de deprecation. It was a part of the very extreme. And the story was that one of his Talmidim came to Shklov, one of the most powerful misnagdisha cities. And he, he showed his credentials as a big Talmud Chochem and as a Magid, and he wanted to say Musar. And Magid, they made a living by traveling. And if you had good credentials, they gave you a big position. They invited all the Chosh people of Shklov to listen to him to say Magidus. And he was very good, he was very, very good. And he said a beautiful drasha, Divrei Musir, quote from Chazal. And at the end of his drasha, he began to speak disrespectfully about the Vilner Goen, about the Groh. His drasha had been so good, the people didn't realize what he was doing. And he finished his speech and he ran for his life. If they catch him, they kill him, keep shooting. They would have, they would have lynched him. This happened in 1770. The big Litvish cities got together. Vilna and Shklov and Minsk and Pinsk. And they decided to make the first Chedim against Hasidim because of this. The Magid was so upset. The Magid was beside himself. And he didn't have a time to tell that young boy, a time to his Rebbe. How come he, he created such radicals? There's an old expression by Hasidim. Talak is Nishkin Tok. The Hasidus of that year, 1770, is without order. It's not good. And the Bavram Kalasker was afraid to come into Mezrich. The Magid was so upset with him. He was literally afraid to walk into the city. He realized that he had crossed the line. He did something terrible. He made a terrible Chilashem. And it brought Hasidus to his knees in Lite. So when he came to Mezrich, he wouldn't come in. He stood outside and he sent a Shliach to call out his friends. Who were his friends? The Alter Rebbe and the Mendel And he begged them, go to the Magid and ask him if he should forgive me. Because the Magid was very, very upset. And the Magid forgave him and then he came. Many years later, this same Avram Kalasker criticized the Alter Rebbe. I, I know this all from a letter which Alter Rebbe himself writes. Alter Rebbe says, I have to respect you. He says, if not for me, you'd be Arach Sidis. You're afraid to come into Mezrich and you called me and I went to the Rebbe and I asked him to forgive you and so on. This was a real story. And it, it created an unnecessary burden on the, on, the, on the youthful movement of Hasidus. And the Hasidim have always said that being crazy and hysterical as a Hasid and, and taking on weird forms, it's not normal. It's not, Hasidus was not meant to be hysterical. Or to say it in plain words, Hasidus was not meant for a few Meshuganists. Hasidus is meant to be a way of life. And B.S. Gale said it till Mashiach comes and it has to be grounded. And this Hanhagar was undesirable. Now the Mezitcher Magid passed away in Tokuf Lamed Gibb. Right, I'm telling you this whole thing because he, he, um, his yard site, this Tuesday, is the 250th yard site of the Heilek of Magid. And he passed away in the city of Rovna. Now, I want to say two things before I tell you a little bit about the Stalkas of the Magid. Two things I want to tell you. Number one, the previous Rebbe writes in a Sikh. The Bashemtev was the father of Hasidus. Bashemtev founded Hasidus. So the Fidik Rebbe writes 
the mezitsha magid had gevolt haskala. That means chokma. The alterebe had gevolt havona. That means bino. The mezitsha magid needed to package chasidus in a garment of chokma. And the alterebe needed to package garment chasidus in the package of bino. In other words, mamish logical philosophy. What this means, practically speaking, when you read the original teachings of the Baal Shem Tev, you don't see any depth. They seem very simple. Mamish simple. Because they're said without any form. There's no package. There's nothing to show you the oymek. It's just simple words. It's like a medrash. The Mezitsha Magid repeated the teachings of the Baal Shem Tev, but he wrapped them in a form of Kabbalah. Which is why when you look at the teachings of the Mezitsha Magid, they're much harder to understand. But in truth, they're actually easier to understand because what the Mezitsha Magid did by packaging it in a garment of Kabbalah is bringing it close to the understanding of people who understand Kabbalah. When you read about Shem Tev's teachings, you don't even know what he's saying. You think you know, because it seems so simple, but you don't understand any of it. By the Magid, which means Kabbalah. The Rebbe gave it a Lavush of Havana, of Pashat philosophy, a logical system that allows us to understand the Sugis of Nimi Hashem, and all the rest in a way that even people without a high neshama are able to understand them. So the Maggid's contribution was to take Teda Sabal Shemtiv and package it in the body of Kabbalah. Like we had a Fabrengen last night that went on almost till midnight. And the Fabrengen revolved around this story with the Evan Teish which I didn't tell you. That the uh, the Pinchas Karetzer came to Mizrich to, to see his former friend, who was now the leader of Chassidus. And he didn't come as a Talmud, he came as a friend to show respect to the Mizrich Magid. And he found the page of Chassidus rolling around on the floor and he got very upset. And the Alter Rebbe told him the famous story about the Evan Tejim Kesamal, that there was this prince and he was going to die and they couldn't find the diagnosis and they couldn't find the cure. They found the diagnosis and they discovered that the cure is a very rare mineral, which is the Evan Tevshim Kesra It's the precious stone which is the base of the king's crown. But in order to get that stone out, you have to destroy the crown that had been used for 20 generations. And the prince was so ill, there was a question if he would last long enough for them to even feed it to him. And the king says, If I have no crown prince, if I have no Mamalamok, no successor, it's a crown. Smash the crown, take out the stone grind it into a powder, mix it with a little water, give it to the prince, and perhaps he'll still be alive, we'll be able to save him. So the, the Alter Rebbe said to the Pichas Koretzer, who got upset at the Mizitcher Magid for teaching Hasidus to people who were only in the lower Madreg of Tzadagomot, that Hasidus is being revealed not because we are more deserving than early generations, Hasidus is being revealed because in our generations, without Hasidus, we won't survive. What is Hasidus? Chassidus is a godly power. It's a power. We call it in the Sikhs Yechida. It's the precious stone which is the base of the king's crown. But it needs to be ingested in such a way that we can process it. Like a person takes medicine. One of the most important things about medicine is not to figure out what compounds the person needs for his healing, but how to produce the capsule or whatever the case is in the kind of way that the body should absorb it and not reject it, not push it out. It's absorption, it's a big deal. So the precious stone, which is the base of the king's crown that Baal Shem Tev had, the, ba- the Magid packaged it in the Levush of Chochmah, that means Kabbalah, and the Altarebbe packaged it in the Levush of Bina, this means philosophy, logic, they can understand it.
I just want to say one more thing. And that is we're having a whole, I'm, I decided to dedicate this evening to the Mizitra Maggit. But Lachayra, I have to say at least one Vatera. Now I'm, I'm sitting here telling you stories about the Mizitra Maggit. I should say one Vatera of the Mizitra Maggit. The Vatera of the Mizitra Maggit, if they're ever quoted it a hundred times, I don't think it's an exaggeration. They're ever quoted this Tera over and over and over again in so many Maimonim and in so many Sikhs. In so many Maimonim of Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe mentions this Tera. So this is, I'm going to use this as an example. This is one teaching of the Hedika Magid that our Rebbe, was, it's the beginning of both of his father, Magid Rav Yankiv and the Kuti Amorim. The Rebbe brings it many, many, many times. And I'm going to share this with you as an example of a teaching of the Mizichir Magid. And the teaching is that it says in the Medrash, Yisrael Olu Machshava, that the Jewish people entered up in the thought of HaKadosh Baruch. So the Mizichir Magid on this Medrash gives a mushal that if a father has a son, a father has a son, even if the son goes off to the other side of the world, the image of the son is chokuk, the image of the son is branded into the memory of the father, that he can never forget how his child looks. And the pshat Yisrael, old machshava means that the Yidna, of the Abish is children. And Kayachal, we are branded into the thought of the Abish of Atman. But then the Magid adds something else which is mind-blowing. The Magid says that when you have a physical father and a physical child, and the child's image is branded into the mind of the father, that can only happen once the child is born. Before the child is born, the father cannot envisage a child that doesn't yet exist. But by Hashem, there's no time. And past and present and future is one. So he titles his soul, all of Machshav. Yidin are branded in the thought of HaKadosh Baruch. Like a child is branded in the mind of his father. But the Yidin, Jewish people, are branded in the mind of HaKadosh Baruch in such a way that there was never a time that they were not there. In other words, you think about creation. And what's higher than the creation? The purpose of creation. What's higher than the purpose of creation? The Mezitja Maggit says this, that the relationship between Yidin and HaKadosh Baruch was like a father and a child. But because by Hashem there's no limits, there was never a time, and the Abish has been around forever, yeah? There was never a point where Kvayachal Yidin were not branded into the awareness of before creation altogether. This is a it's a radical Taira, it's a crazy Taira. And in Mayna Yadav, every Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe mentioned this Taira, he would never miss it. The point of this Taira is that our relationship has nothing to do with creation. It doesn't even have to do with Taira Mitzvahs. Has to do with the fact that with the Abish is Kindalach. It's a Tayda the Magid. This is just a sample. This is the one I'm sharing with you in discussing with you the life of the Magid. Now the Magid passed away in Erovne, not in Mezrich, in Erovne. And he's buried in Hanapala. And he's surrounded by all of his Talmidim. The Mizrich Magid in Hanapala. I was never in Hanapala. But around him is his son, the Malach, and Abzusha Hanapala, and many, I think of Sadiq Akoyan uh, is there also. The Mizitra Magid is surrounded by many of his Talmidim and he's buried in Hanapala. Hanapala is near Rovnitz, near the city of Rovnitz. The Magid was ill, he was Bechlal ill. And the Talmidim came. When the Mizitra Magid passed away, around his bed stood the greatest of his Talmidim. The reason we know this is because the Mizitra Magid left a Tzavah. The Mizitra Magid left a will. It wasn't a written will, it was an oral will. And this oral will is published. It's in the Gniza and it's also printed in other sources, non-Chabad sources also. 
And this oral will, most of it is discussions with his own son. He's speaking to his son, the Malach. But after he speaks at length to his son, he turns to each one of the students. And he tells them a few words. He tells each one, they're all there. And in this printed Tzavah, you see what he told each one. And underneath it, they all endorsed it. They all notarized it as being authentic. So you could see from the Maggid Tzavah that at the time the Maggid passed away, all of his greatest Talmud, the names, the, the household names, so to speak, were present, Yemut and Ravne. And they were there, Bishaz, the Estalkas of the Mesich Maggid. Now, the, he, his son, he left many instructions. The most famous instruction that he left to his son is, Abraham the Malach tortured his goof, Kevelach, he beat up on his body. I mean, he lived maximum, maximum, he lived 37 years. Could be 35 you understand? He broke his goof kefelach. He never ate. He never slept. He beat up on his goof. And the Maggid said, you have to watch your goof. And the famous quote that you all know was part of this will and testament. You have to take care of your health and you have to eat and you have to sleep. A small hole in the body is a massive gape in the soul. And he tells his son, you have to stop this shtick with fasting. And you have to take care of your health and you have to live. So the Mesitcher Magid's son, the Malachs, would say, this was not by then, but earlier, I have no obligation to ignore the will of my father in heaven for my father of the flesh. And the Alter Rebbe cried, how could you call the Mesitcher Magid a father of the flesh, you understand? And they found a letter, which is printed also in the Atomim, in the Gnizim, where the Mesitcher Magid told the Alter Rebbe, Mr. Maggie told Al Terebe that when I'm gone, I'm making it your responsibility that my son should watch his health. He should stop fasting and take care of himself. So there's a letter from the Al Terebe to the Malach a few months after the Mr. Maggie passes. And he writes to him, I cannot tell this to you face to face because you're my Rebbe. And I don't have the boldness, the chutzpah to come to you and speak directly. But I am a Mitzvah of the The Rebbe left me with this responsibility that I have to make sure that you watch your health. So I'm begging you, please, help me fulfill my instructions from the Rebbe and take care of your health. This is what the Alter Rebbe wrote to the Malach. Another instruction in this Tzavah that he said to the Malach, to his son, he says, Yiddish. The whole thing is in Yiddish. You should listen to Zalman that means to the Alter Rebbe, and you'll always be fortunate. His very first thought the Maggid told his son about the Alter Rebbe, his very first thought is a miniature prophecy. And the third thing worth quoting, this is Mamish, unbelievable, the Mesitcher Maggid told his son, the Malach, that he should learn Rambam every day. The Rambam every day. Why? The Maggid wrote to his son, said to his son on his deathbed, learning Rambam affects one's fear of heaven. That's unbelievable. Rambam now in this will, you have instructions to different one of them. Give an example. This is Mamish Mindlong. The Maggid told Abzusha Hanapol, the Maggid told Abzusha Hanapol, don't become a Rebbe. You know what that means? You're higher than being a Rebbe. <laughs> and the Alter Rebbe, it's very painful because he spoke to each one. He had such nice things to say to each one of them. The men scared. You can see, he talks to each one for two or three lines. Everything is written down and published. When he came to the Alter Rebbe, he said, Oh, Zalman, your life's going to be miserable. 
Because he tells them, <coughs> your life is going to be very hard. The task, the shlichas that you were given was extraordinarily hard. But I just want you to know that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, the Rebbe, that means the Balshemtiv, and I will always stand ready to be made Rabbin for you and for your derech, to, to arouse mercies for you and for your derech. The document finishes with the words, That's what it finishes. He said good night and he slept. And apparently the Maggit fell asleep, uh, passed away in his sleep. And of course there was a Levaya. The Talmidim made a goidel. They divided up amongst themselves who should divide which part of the Helikogof of the Maggid. The Maggid never went to Mikveh. Now they took him to the Mikveh. The Altarebbe was given Reishi Kesem Paz. The was given the responsibility to table the Mesitra Maggid's head. And the Altarebbe swore, I did not table him. He tabled himself. After, posthumously, after he had physically passed away, the Mesitra Maggid had uh, tabled. He tabled himself. After the Maggid's passing, the Chavrayah Kaddish got together. And they understood the pressures from the Misnagdim then were terrible. It was much worse. When Vashanta passed away, there was pressure. When the Mishnagdim passed away, it was, it was Mamish war. It was already hot. And it took so much effort to build Chassidus. And the Misnagdim were trying to destroy it. And they made the conscious decision to decentralize Chassidus. To diversify it. And they, I don't know how, but they literally took a map, precisely how they did this, but they did this. And they divided up Eastern Europe amongst them. And each one was given territory. And each one was told that in the territory that is yours, you are free to teach Hasidus as you wish. And nobody else has a right to trespass in your territory. And nobody has a right to criticize what you're doing. This was the first Akhlata that they made. And the second Akhlata that they made is that they're going to diversify Hasidus in terms of spreading Hasidus. But in terms of the struggle with the Misnagdim, they would act in unison. And of course, the fun jobs they always gave to the Altareb, and the Altareb was given the job to spearhead the Machlekes with the Misnagdim. And the third decision that they made was that they would send a contingent to bring Hasidus to Eretz Yisrael. And they agreed that every five years they would meet. Every five years they would meet. The first meeting took place right when the Magid passed. The second meeting was five years later, and that's when the Mendel Vitebsky moved to Yisrael. The third one was five years after that. Ten years after the Magid passed. And at that meeting, which was ten years after the passage of the Magid, the Altarebbe was attacked for Chabad. They already saw that the Altarebbe was going in a new direction, and they severely criticized the Altarebbe was very hurt. Altarebbe came home, and he did what all the Chabad Rebbe do. You squeeze them, they start making more... Uh, more afotzes, start spreading chassidus even more. And this is a little bit of an insight into the life and times of the Mizitcha Magid. He's from Nunzer the Nesim, right? The Rebbe Council of the Nesim, the Nesim, from the Baal Shem and the Magid. I'm, probably, I'm, probably, I'm sure you're aware of this. That when our Rebbe got married, the previous head said a Maimir. And in the Maimir, he quoted from each one of the Rebbe, beginning with the Alter Rebbe. So you know, the Rebbe became a Rebbe, he said, I'm Basi Lagani. Our Rebbe became Basi Lagani. But in the first Basi Lagani, also quoted us only from the Alter Rebbe, the Mitle Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, the Rebbe the Rebbe Rashab, not from the Basham Tev and the Magid. Shabbos, the Rebbe walked into Shul, and he said, I thought about it. When I said, my Maimir Basi Lagani, Wednesday night, I only quoted from the Alter Rebbe. Why? Because this is what the previous Rebbe did by my Chasaneh. But I thought it over, says the Rebbe. And I say, why shouldn't I include also the Maggid Nebuchadnezzar? So Shabbos, the Rebbe said a short Maimid. 
and he said a Torah for the Magid and for the Valshemtiv, and beginning the following year, 1952, in every Vasil the Gadi, the mentioned all the Rabbi beginning the Valshemtiv. Now here's my humble opinion. This is only a personal interpretation. But the Friedrich Rebbe, when he was at the Rebbe's Chasana, he invited from the Alter Rebbe because that's how far back it went. When the Rebbe became a Rebbe, so he did the same thing. But this is me speaking now, okay? And this is conjecture. This is all Chabad radicalism. And the Balshemtiv and the Magid came to the Rebbe and said, Excuse me! What about us? Because our Rebbe is not just a Hemshech of Chabad. Our Rebbe is a Hemshech of Helikon Balshemtiv. And starting with the Rebbe, every Maimir Basilagani, beginning with the second one, he started not from the Alter Rebbe, like, he had, like the previous Rebbe had done. He started from the Baal Shem Tov.